August 14, 2003, I was working the front desk at HB Studio, the acting school in Greenwich Village where I was a full-time student and part-time staffer. HB had yet to computerize at that point, and so everything we did was done in the same way it had been done pretty much since the place was founded in 1945. Every registering student had a little 3-5 card with their name and address on it, and on the back we wrote all their class codes and receipt numbers, And if they studied at HB for a while, many people did, cards would be stapled in succession, in some cases creating a mass about half an inch thick. This was especially hideous when classes were cancelled or dropped and refunds were in order because then there would be a chain of red and blue lines and directional arrows, sometimes spanning several cards. As often as not, the newer employees in the office, when faced with a headache like this, would turn to the vets who had been there for years and were well accustomed to the Byzantine logic of the singular HB system. Katerina, Raquel, Gerard, we would call on their depthless patience and tenacity to sort it all out. Likewise, the exchange of money was all recorded in receipt books, all of it, as it had been for decades, and left to Arnie, our brave and occasionally frightening money counter downstairs to sort out. Frightening, because as a money counter must, she would come after you if the numbers didn't add up. And her impenetrable Filipino accent could challenge one to understand exactly what they had done wrong. Not long after that time, HB started the long road to a computerized system. I was one of the employees who spent hours inputting decades' worth of those cards into the new database. I was there when we had the credit card machine installed. And since I've been gone, they've even been registering students online. A lot has changed at the studio since I started there. It was frozen in time, I think, not a little because the great teacher Uta Hagen, it was essentially her school, didn't want to change the place her husband Herbert Berghoff had founded. But Uta died in January of 2004, and as happens when the head of state dies, change is inevitable. Prices shot up. Managing directors came and went, semester schedules were tinkered with, and even on-camera classes were offered. The thought of this was anathema to Uta, but the reality was actors want to act on stage and on screen, and there was a demand. But back to August 14, 2003. I was at the front desk, positioned at the top of the stairs on the third floor to answer the phone and direct people to the next available registrar. It was a hot afternoon, and I would bet we had the A.C. on, as people all over the Northeast and Midwest did, which is why a power line in Ohio became overused, overheated, and started to sag, until it touched some overgrown tree and shorted out, which shut down the power station, forcing the other power stations closest by to pick up the slack, until that proved too much, and at about 4.10 p.m. they all started to fall like dominoes in a wave, 
The wave rippled up through most of Ontario and across to the Atlantic Ocean. Fifty-five million people were without power. Now, in the office, it was just me and my friend Varick Boyd, registering students, no doubt listening to the radio, chatting about bands or movies. When the power went out, there was no panic. It was still a sunny day, and there were emergency lights in the stairwells and in the basement studio. But the studio phones were on the grid, so they were useless, and cell phone service was compromised because of the overusage. I checked the radio for news on my Sony Discman. Shut up. Because we all wondered if this was another terrorist attack. It didn't seem so. But we shut the studio down, cleared the building and locked the front door, and with enough daylight in the third-floor office, Varick and I did our books until the sun was too weak for us to carry on. We stood out on Bank Street in the dusk and were joined by another friend of mine, my longtime scene study teacher Jim Berlin, who lived a few blocks further east. Varick lived in Jersey City and the PATH trains were down so he couldn't get home. I lived about 40 blocks north in Hell's Kitchen and I could have walked it, but the mood in the street was so light we decided to walk to Jim's place and take advantage of his vodka and tonic supplies. A blackout in winter is good reason for worry, as we saw during the ice storm of 98. My hometown of Saint-Jean was without power for the better part of a month, with my sister and aunts and uncles and cousins displaced for much of that time. My dad died in the midst of all that, and I'm not kidding when I say my sister feels some serious anxiety when the forecast calls for freezing rain. But a hot August night in Manhattan unless you're one of the many thousands trying to get off the island, can be kind of magical with the lights off. The bodega near Jim's was selling beer and ice cream by candlelight, and I grabbed a couple of rolling rocks to supplement our V&Ts. It wasn't quite a block party where we were. There was no music, and people cheerfully passed through, but we three sat on a stoop and laughed and chatted and enjoyed our drinks well into the night. We got word the path was working and Varick headed for the station. Jim headed up to bed and I, well, I still had the keys to the studio. I was scheduled to open in the morning anyway, so I stumbled back and let myself in, sleeping on the padded bench in the office. This is a little about commemoration. A little about a moment in time that couldn't happen again. For one thing, HB has gotten much savvier about security since I held the keys. And it's not a little about what fragile things are networks and grids and how the faith we put in them is an almost astoundingly blind one, because I don't know how we would even function if we really considered how tenuous it all is. The old HB filing system was unaffected by any crash, which might have been a lesson in itself, until you remember that the rest of the building had to be shut down anyway, so it didn't matter. Except for the poor folks stranded in elevators that night and the ones who set their places on fire with candles and the ones who couldn't get through to 911 when they needed to, it was a pretty great night. Pretty Much, Episode 31, Lights Out. Written and read by Scott Clarkson. Music by Garner Firebird. <laughs>